1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of, of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from our God, of peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in these sufferings, you also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despair of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will, never, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf. Oops. Uh, on our behalf. Sorry, it's cut, it's cut off. Um, so you also must help us by prayer that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. The word of God. So today we start a new series, and we're looking at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And uh, now we're calling this letter, we're calling this series, <clears throat> excuse me, Authenticity. Uh, and this series, uh, in this series, we'll be looking at what authentic Christian uh, leadership looks like, an authentic Christian community looks like, an authentic Christian ministry looks like. And so I just wanted to uh, remind everyone to please extend an invitation uh, to someone that you know uh, to join us in, in looking at this profound letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, we want more people to ultimately find themselves because we believe that only in the gospel are we truly found, are we truly known, and are we truly loved. So let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word this morning. Your word is truth, and it is a bright light in utter darkness. Help our unbelief this morning. Lord, have mercy. Give us energy and, and focus to hear all that you have for us today. Help us to understand and to hear you speaking to us so that we'd be able to find ourselves not in ourselves deep down, but outside of ourselves in your Son. 
and that we would lead others to true life and true love in him. Amen. Just be true to yourself. Have you heard that message before? I think just be true to yourself sums up just about every single Disney movie I've ever seen since I was born, (laughs) right? Um, It kind of always seems to be the central message. Uh, And it's not new. In classical antiquity, uh, one of the high priestesses known as the Oracle of Delphi said, know thyself. Quite a similarity there between ancient times and today's times. And like antiquity, one of the uh, worst cultural sins that we can commit today is to be inauthentic. You don't want to do that. Not to be true to yourself is to lose yourself, is the messaging. And so a person who has found themselves is one who is true to self, wherever that leads, whatever that means. And it's entirely left up to the individual. And on American soil, that message just takes off, soaring. People love it. And one of the, the ways that we see it played out in our lives is when we or someone that we know is going through a time of great difficulty, difficulty and hardship. It can be um, cancer, it can be divorce, it can be a sick child, it can be job loss, it can be mounds and mounds of, of stress, it can be a lot of things. And, and there's one lie that we either tell ourselves or that we tell other people who are suffering, and it's a complete lie. And so this morning I want us to talk openly about this lie, because when, by talking about this lie we're exposing it for what it is. And then I want us to hear the truth that we refuse to believe. And so I want us to consider these as kind of just our two guiding points this morning, just to keep, keep us focused, keep us on track, because there's so many distractions within us and around us. And so just to focus in the lie we tell ourselves. So there's a lie that we tell ourselves. What's that lie that we tell ourselves? It's captured often in the message of Disney, and okay... I'm just picking on Disney today. Um, You totally can watch a Disney movie, okay? One of my favorite movies as of late is Moana. At least it was for the first hundred times. (laughs) But the message that Disney would have us to hear and to have us to be the kind of counselors of and about is, is to be people who send signals and send this message out to everybody. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that message before? And we, the way we see it played out and portrayed in all kinds of different mediums, whether speech or in visuals, or, or it doesn't matter. The way we see this is it's kind of if you just believe or if you put enough faith in yourself or if you discover who you were really meant to be, or, in fact, if you just change into who you finally want to be, whatever that is, 
Then you'll overcome and you will get through whatever it is you're going through. That's the lie we tell ourselves and we believe over and over again. Have you ever heard somebody tell you that lie before in a different way? Has that been your experience? I don't want you to take my word for it this morning, because um, that would be another mistake. Uh, so I want us to consider what the Bible says about this. And so we're in the book, uh, in the letter, 2 Corinthians. And uh, just how many of us write letters anymore? Fewer than maybe our parents or grandparents, right? Um, I received a letter in the mail this week that was so encouraging to me. It was a sweet, short letter, but it was so encouraging. So some people do. My wife's a letter sender. She sends letters like crazy. And we actually have an opportunity uh, to send a letter um, to the other side of the world for World Mercy uh, behind you after service if you want to send a letter to um, a little child who is an orphan. Um, you have the opportunity to do so. But we don't really send letters so much. Uh, we text, we call, we message, we tag, and all of that. Uh, in the time of the New Testament, though, they didn't even have the postal service. So how would you send one message to somebody else? How would you get the message around? How would you tell people about something? Um, you can't call, you can't text, you can't email. And I know for some people, maybe in my age category, that seems like the loss of life itself, because if I lost my phone, if it dropped in the toilet, my life would be over. No! You know. Um, I promise if you do lose your phone, you can replace it. You couldn't do any of that, so you'd send an associate of yours, somebody who is a delegate of you, uh, to go by hand or on foot or um, even travel on an animal uh, to take that message to another person, or in this case, a group of persons, church, churches. And so that's why we're reading this letter this morning, if you're wondering. If you're, if you're new, if you're like, what is an epistle? I see that in this Bible. You know, that's just a little explanation for you. And so, so Paul fo- follows this, the, the common conventions of writing a letter um, in the first century. So we see at the beginning, he tells us who it's from. He says, Paul and Timothy, verse 1, uh, to whom it's addressed, all Christians in Achaia. Uh, Achaia was uh, uh, the province, so the larger area, kind of like, you know, like San Diego, that's like Achaia. And then Corinth is a, spe- a specific city in that general region. So like Scripps Ranch <laughs> or Mira Mesa or Rancho Penasquitos. You know, pick your, pick your uh, city. Um, so we read that in verses 1 and 2. And then verse 3, he gives us the salutation or, or what's called the, the greeting. Where he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, um, that is not to be overlooked by any means, although I'm going to quickly pass through it. Because what this means is that God is speaking through Paul and his associates to us from God. He writes as part of God's plan to God's people because of God's peace that can only be found in Jesus. 
And so this letter was sent and read at a time when, when Paul's relationship as an apostle was... Um, and he wasn't just an, uh, an apostle, um, sort of like somebody of high status. Sometimes that's how we think of apostles. But he was um, actually the very church planner of these churches. He planted these churches. And this comes at a time when that relationship between Paul and this church, of which he was a missionary, was very strained. It was very tense. And later in the series, we're going to get into more details about that tension, but for now, there are just, there's just one thing I want us to focus on, and that's that there are intruders who have discredited him, and, and the people in this church are questioning Paul, who planted their church. And they're thinking, is, is Paul, who, who lives in weakness, how can this person who's so weak, how can this person have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, the Christ? Because when they looked at who was telling the lies to them, they looked around, they saw power, they saw credibility, they saw success. And then when they, when they looked at Paul, what did they see? They didn't see power. They didn't see success. And they really didn't think he was all that credible in their own estimation. Because their eyes still believed, God will never give you more than you can handle. And so he writes this in verse, beginning with verse 3. If you have your Bibles, please open them. It'll be behind me as well. Verse 3, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Verse 4, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 6, If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Seven, our hope is for you, for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Did you notice how many times he said words that are unfamiliar to us? He says two words that are basically non-existent in our common talk, like our daily chatter and the daily buzz. Um, If somebody asks you, how are you? That's really hello today, but you ask, how are you? How you doing? And and we respond, I'm good, I'm fine. All is well. It is well. On a good day, yeah. Lately, I've been recovering honesty when asked that question. Um, and so just to you know, say when asked, how are you doing, Pastor? Um, and if I'm not all that great, I might just tell you, I'm okay. Or I'm not that great, please pray for me. <laughs> I need to trust in Jesus today. And that's because I too can buy into this lie. I too can hide behind the mask of power when it's okay to just be human and just be ordinary. <laughs> right? 
But these words, Paul says, they're uncomfortable words because success and, and strength and power, you know, might. That's what we hunger for. That's what we want to be part of. <laughs> and there goes Paul saying again and again, affliction. He says suffering. Man, what's Paul up to here? The, the, the shock value maybe on our own hearts and minds is because we are so deeply entrenched in this lie that we tell ourselves. I mean, we're so deeply committed to this lie that as your pastor, when planning this sermon series, I was literally afraid of preaching 2 Corinthians. Because I remember from, you know, seminary or... I remember from previous seminary, all that stuff, looking at 2 Corinthians and going, oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't want to invite that into my life. Because we believe the lie. We buy into the lie. God won't give you more than you can handle. And the best word I can think of to, to sort of capture the sense of affliction that Paul is, is chasing after here that he describes is, is the word pressure. It's that feeling of mounting pressure that we get when we're overwhelmed and we're out of time. Uh, have you ever been put on the spot before? Maybe uh, deadlines at work have, have just piled up um, or you're juggling family life and work and school, and soccer practice, or baseball practice, or whatever commitments that you've made, or you've promised to make. Been asked to do too much too soon with too little time. And you feel the weight. And then, and then of course, more gets piled on and thrown on. And more odd things happen in life, like your car breaks down. I don't know. It could happen. Or even where good things start to feel burdensome to you. And so in 1981, now some of you will remember this, uh, Queen and David Bowie, man, they struck a chord with their hit song, Under Pressure. Anybody remember that one? <laughs> I see the head bobbing right there. That's great. Um, I played it. Uh, sorry, G. I'm going to embarrass you. Just once. It was the only time. <laughs> I asked Gina last night, do you know the song Under Pressure? And she said, no, I don't know that song. And so we looked it up on YouTube, and we played it, and, and she said, oh, this is Ice Ice Baby. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> For some of us, it is Ice Ice Baby. I remember doing like some da- dance in junior high to that song, and you know, that was kind of the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, of course, that, I got that. Uh, but everybody knows that song, because of course, after we played the song, she goes, oh, I do know that song. So... Redeemed. <laughs> because everybody knows that song, at least in America. Uh, cue the hi-hat. Uh, then there's the bass line that everybody remembers. Even Ice Ice Baby. Uh, some piano and percussion cymbals. Uh, clapping hands, snap your fingers, electric guitar. And then that unforgettable voice, Bowie. Pressure. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> no, Bonita, I'm not singing it. <laughs> you want me to. Pushing down on me. I'm not, no. (laughs) 
Pressing down on you, no man ask for. Under pressure that brings a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. Heavy lyrics when you listen to them. I didn't even realize that that's what, the, that's what it said. I'm like, I know that song, you know? It's like so quick to pass, through, pass over stuff. As the song ends, it, it, you hear Bowie uh, in the resounding, he says, says, this is our dance, yes, this is ourselves. It's the human experience that, that Bowie does so, he did such a great job of, of capturing this common feeling and, and, and putting it to music. Of what it feels like to be stressed out and burdened by someone or something. Feel me? Uh, students, parents, empty nesters, bosses, employees, those in ministry or those pursuing ministry, any of us can feel under the gun at any given time. It just takes the right amount of circumstances, the right amount of pressure on a human being, and you feel it under pressure. And that's because everybody's human. From the doctor that you, you know, have to go see uh, to uh, the patient that you have to have visit you, if you're a doctor, to the cashier who took too long when you're at the grocery store at Costco, to the person who handed you a bulletin today, the person who set up your chair that you're sitting in, the person who you pass by on the street or on the highway to get to church, to the pastor standing right here. We all feel the weight of pressure at certain moments. And we all keep buying into the lie, don't we? we? We ignore the crucial facts about our lives. We do. In order to bypass and avoid the uncomfortable truth. What is that truth? The truth we refuse to believe? That's our second point, final point. I don't want you to be unaware of this truth. Okay? Because this truth will free you from whatever affliction you find yourself in, like the Apostle Paul. And this truth is so hard to believe, but it's so freeing once you believe it. So let me tell you the truth. God will absolutely, 100%, positively give you more than you can handle. Yes, He will. You could count on it at some point. Can I get an amen? amen? Good. Look with me at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 9a, indeed we feel or we felt that we had received the sentence of death. These are are pretty bold words here. Now we don't know what exactly happened to Paul, what he underwent, what he experienced, uh, because uh, commentators argue endlessly, trust me, endlessly, (laughs) there's lots of argument, 
about three main things. And so some say it was uh, most likely maybe it was mental illness. It was something psychological with Paul that he endured. Uh, others say it was an illness that was terminal, but that later spun around and you know, he ended up being all right. And still others say that he was facing intense persecution, which we know Paul did at many times, in many journeys, in many ways. And so maybe he was beaten or he was imprisoned at the time. There's a lot of talk about what may have happened. And it all could have happened. (laughs) Because, I mean, the specifics here don't really matter. Because if they did, he would have said it. And I think Paul is intentionally being vague He doesn't want us to know precisely what it was so that we can identify with his experience. So we can share in that affliction that God had put on him that sometimes we have to experience but is different from the kind of pain or the kind of affliction or the kind of pressure that Paul had to experience. But it happens to everyone. Not just an apostle, not just a pastor, not just a missionary, not just a leader of some kind, but everybody. Can you identify with what he shares here? He says, so utterly burdened beyond our strength, he tells them. We despaired of life itself, he says. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's a courtroom jury guilty verdict that he's feeling. Pressure. And it's so clear that whatever circumstance that Paul was facing, that it had, it had totally pushed him over the edge. He was beyond his own resources. He, it was bigger than he could handle. It was infinity, Daniel. So does God just give us what we can handle? No. No. He does not, according to the Bible. God gives us, God may also give you more than you can handle at some point in your life. Maybe you already have gone through it. Now, I'm going to share something very difficult and and something still socially unacceptable to talk about. A pastor I met in person last year his pastor, his mentor, who, who poured out his life into this man who, oh, such a great minister. His pastor, his mentor, took his own life. And maybe it's not the first time you've heard of something like that happening. And so hearing this, maybe you're already thinking, well, he probably deserved it in some way. Hear me out. Maybe, because, you know, we keep hearing in the news of so many scandals, right? So maybe he was guilty of something and that led him to doing this horrible thing. Maybe it was some besetting sin. Maybe it was some scandal or some theological error or controversy that he was embroiled in. Maybe. But not this pastor. You know what happened with this pastor? He was... um, this pastor ended his life not because of, of too much failure in his life. It was because of too much success. He was planting churches. I think their, their church was in the middle of uh, building a new church building. 
He was a conference speaker. He was one of the best counselors that so many people can testify. Loved his counseling. He was there for me in so many moments. And you see, when we refuse to believe the truth that God will give us more than we can handle, sometimes we believe that lie and we believe that we're out of options. We think that there's no place to turn. We think nobody's going to listen. Nobody can feel what I feel. But that's the lie. That's the lie. The truth is, there is help. There are people who will listen. And there's a God, not just up above, not just up above but a God who condescended, who came down below, assumed a true human nature, became truly human, like us, in every respect, yet without sin. He came down to give hope, to give freedom from your pain, your discomfort, your unease, your affliction, no matter how severe, your trial, or as Paul puts it in Romans, this momentary affliction. God's plan for your suffering or your pressure, says the Bible, is redemption. No matter how bad it's been, God wants to restore value to what you have lost or you are losing. Render useful what was rendered useless. Maybe you've heard Pastor Bob say that before. So you might be thinking, as you should be, well, why? Why would God give us more than we can handle? Why would I ever have to go through hell like that in this life? Isn't God supposed to be loving and kind, we might be thinking? Why do I have to endure such affliction that God lets me have? God's purpose in giving us more than we can handle is so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves, but that we would rely, that we would trust in Him. And so yes, He wants us to come to the end of our rope, not so we'd be strangled by it, that's to believe the lie. But here's the truth, don't refuse to believe it any longer. God wants you to trust in your pain, in your suffering, in your pressure. Let's look at the last part, second part of verse 9. 9b, he says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we set our hope that He will deliver us again. Now, man, suffering and unfair circumstances, illness, mental illness, it can and will happen to you at some point. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe you're in it right now. And when you're in it, it's always a crucible of what feels like fire burning. (laughs) Hot fire, because it's a trial. It doesn't feel very good. Not very good at all. And there are two ways that we can respond whenever this is upon us or within us. The first way is to keep trusting in ourselves, which will only lead to despair, to more bitterness, 
to relational breakdown, and a host of other things. Because when the pressure's there, who can stand it? Right? Nobody can. Now, the second way that we can respond is to cast our cares onto the one who cares for us. The one who cared so much for us that he sent his son to endure the worst kind of human and divine affliction that a human being could ever handle so we wouldn't have to bear that kind of punishment and suffering. And I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the gospel. So the pressure that you're under doesn't have to end badly. Paul's offering all of us not a way out, but a way through it that leads to encouragement and comfort and hope, no matter what. And so when you face pressure, God wants you to come to him and to dive deeper into fellowship, into community with one another, with others who suffer too, and to celebrate with him and with others, not defeat, but victory. Victory through the one who suffered for us, but who was also raised for us for our justification. God allows for us to suffer, to be put under pressure, so we'll learn and we will relearn again and again how to trust in the one who had power over death, who has killed death itself, and offers you who offers us the one who bore more than we could handle. So you might not see it. You might not feel it right now. But I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can hear of it this morning. The pressure that you're dealing with and the pressure that I'm dealing with and other people around me are dealing with is God's blessing in disguise. It's always a moment for us to draw closer to God in Christ and through Christ closer to one another. But our pain, it has a way of blinding us. And when we're facing unbearable pain, bending in in breakable circumstances that stretch us beyond our limits, beyond maximum capacity, that's complete overload. You know, systems failure, right? Anybody? Okay. Some of us turn inward. This is how we respond. Some of us turn inward to self-pity. Others of us will harden and will get more prideful. We'll get arrogant. Some of us will cope with sex, drugs, or alcohol. Or we'll respond in anger or haste, so we do something dumb. And whenever we do any of that, we, 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 we miss out every time on the tremendous gift that God wants to give us. That God wants to give you this morning. See, God's inviting us. He's inviting you into seeing something that we can't ordinarily see. And we almost just missed it this morning. We've almost just missed it. And that something is the blessing of God himself. Verses 3 through 7, they began with celebration, with a song of praise to the God of comfort. 
Good gifts are nice. Good circumstances are nicer. Forgive the grammar. But receiving God himself in Christ, the gift giver himself, is better. Verse 11 ends with an invitation for us to praise God as the redeemer and the reliever of all of our pressure. So don't you hear that authenticity is not avoiding the appearance of suffering. Authenticity is not believing the lie that God won't give you more that you can handle, but the truth that God will give you more than you can handle. He will. An authentic people and an authentic community won't act like we're good and we're just trying to power through it. True authenticity is recognizing our lives as being marked out by both by both suffering and comfort, by both affliction and encouragement. Simultaneously, sometimes at the same time, in different varying moments, clashing together. And, and, and seeing this and recognizing this and hearing this, the obvious glaring weakness that, oh, the Apostle Paul, such great weakness. or our own experiences. That that obvious weakness is a key sign that we are in fact authentically created by God and known by God and loved by God in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.